For part three of our Tending Your Heart series, we'll look at how we can overcome wounds and lies to restore intimacy with God. We have an enemy, and all his strategies and lies and deception have one goal, to kill intimacy with God. That's why Proverbs 4.23 in the NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Satan is more threatened by our intimacy with God than anything else. Because if we stay dependent on Jesus, he promises he will produce eternal fruit through us. The enemy knows that without this intimacy, we pose no threat to his kingdom. Satan's weapon to stop us really enjoying intimacy with the Father is through convincing us to believe his lies. Firstly, about God's character, that he can't be trusted, that he doesn't really care. All lies about our true identity. I'm worthless. There's something wrong with me. In my experience, the root of every fear, bondage and addiction points almost always to some combination of these two lies. We see these same lies levelled at Jesus. At his baptism, the father said, you're my beloved son in whom is my delight, declaring identity over Jesus and his heart for him. Then Jesus enters the wilderness and the enemy says, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you're the son of God, jump off the temple, questioning the identity that the father had spoken. We read in Matthew 27 that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the enemy used mockers to say, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And then he trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. The enemy knew that if he could get Jesus to doubt his true identity or to doubt the Father's love for him, that the whole redemption plan would unravel. The enemy attacks us the same way. This is why we need to hear from the Father again and again his heart for us and our true identity. We may not want to think about it this way, but if we agree with the enemy's lies, we are, in effect, calling God a liar partnering with the enemy and opening a door to demonic strongholds. Do we believe lies? Negative thoughts have become so familiar to us that we don't recognise them as the lies that they are. We accommodate them instead of rejecting them. So we get used to them and our hearts become desensitised. Romans 10.10 says that we believe in our hearts, not our heads. We may know the scripture, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but in our hearts, we feel alone and we act like it. That's because our lives usually reveal what it is we truly believe. The fact is, we don't see ourselves clearly, but God does. In fact, he's the only one who does. This is why it's so helpful to ask God, Father, you tell me, what do I really believe about you? Or Father, what do I really believe about myself? I don't think I believe this, do I? Give him room to speak. Often he'll show us areas where we've given the enemy legal right of access and become vulnerable to his attacks that cripple us. The Holy Spirit will bring to light things that we were oblivious to so he can set us free. Lies that we believe most often are born in wounds. We receive wounds through life, but the deepest wounds usually have their roots in childhood when we're especially vulnerable and often involving parents whether it was their intention or not. Maybe we were not loved in the way we needed. Of 
course, that's probably universal. For who of us was loved perfectly, the way God would love us? The enemy uses those wounding experiences to accuse God, saying, he'll treat you the same way. He feels the same way about you. And he accuses us. You were treated that way because you deserved it. There's something wrong with you. The only way we can be set free from those lies is through forgiving the offender. Unless I forgive, I'll be tied to the power of the lies born in the wound. Anybody else have a flashback to a you know, Japanese film that was dubbed there? Sorry about that. All right, let's just pause for a moment. Uh, a lot of information there. We're going to go over some of it. And uh, let's just pause and ask the Lord for some help. Lord, just come and help us. We invite you right now to speak through your word and into our hearts. We just lower our defenses right now, God. Receive from you. Thank you, God. I got a text uh, a couple weeks ago from somebody, and they just were saying, hey, we connect some time and just have something I want to share with you. And we couldn't connect face-to-face, and so we ended up just talking on the phone. And the person said, hey, I just discovered this, this pattern in my life, and I, I can't break out of it. And, and part of the, the issue for them was uh, they felt like they were seeking validation in some of their different relationships and kept setting those things up for disappointment and realized there was something off and had worked on it in the past and felt like they had moved forward only to kind of enter into another relationship and, and find that same pattern happening and realizing, oh, I, I thought I was over this. So we talked about it a little bit, kind of processed and, um, you know, give me some details about what's going on. And then just, hey, you know, Brian, what, what do I do? How do I break out of this cycle? Now, everyone has these cycles in their life. Issues of behavior, patterns of thinking that they wish were not there. Maybe it's uh, an addiction to looking at things, uh, certain pictures online. Maybe it's as simple as road rage. Maybe it's a sharp tongue when uh, someone slights you. Maybe it's overeating. You know, someone cuts you off at that corner and all of a sudden you become the incredible Hulk. In your mind, you're, you're, you're picking that car up and you're just throwing it over the median and it's exploding in flames, right? <clears throat> what would you say if someone called you with a problem like that? What would you tell them? What would, what would, what would you respond? Maybe, maybe someone knows that you're a follower of Jesus and they say, hey, I have this problem. You got anything that would help me out? Maybe it's a new believer and they're just saying, hey, they're, they're, you're getting real as you're meeting with them for discipleship and trying to help them grow in their faith. And they say, they reveal this to you. What is your response? The question I want to pose today is, how do we get out of patterns of behavior or cycles of addiction that we are stuck in? How do we get unstuck from a place of doing things that we know we don't want to be doing, but for some reason we keep coming back to, even if it's months, maybe even years later? 
On Monday morning, uh, this, this past week, I opened up my email to, to find an article entitled The Listening Matrix by a guy named James Emery White. He's the former president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, a church planner and pastor of a large church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, he presented a, a three-part grid for listening to God, for hearing from God. And first off, he said, hey, we go to the Bible. Right? This is God's revealed word. And without it, there's so many things in the Bible that we would not know unless God revealed it through these prophets that wrote the Scripture. And so we go to the Bible to say, this is what God has said. Then he goes on to say, hey, second, we go to counsel from other believers who have a track record of obedience, wisdom, righteousness. They can provide help and understanding and discerning what God is saying in your life. And thirdly, White says this. The third part of the listening matrix has to do with prayer. Here we need to attend to the observation that Moses and God talked as two people face to face, as friends. It's easy to reduce prayer to talking at God instead of talking with God. Most of us think of prayer as one-way communication. We have something to say and we want God to listen, to hear, to respond. What we don't think about is prayer being a two-way conversation, but it is. Prayer is about conversation, communication, and communion with the living God. It's entering into a dialogue with Him. How does that happen? As mentioned, usually quietly through our spirits in a still small voice that is often like an impression or sense. And we would also say like a picture sometimes. When we pray, we focus our thoughts on God, and when we do that, we get in tune with all that He is and all that He might want to say to us. Prayer might be considered the way we tune into his broadcast frequency. And so this is what we've been focusing on in this series that we've called Listen. This idea that, hey, we are trying to understand how God communicates through us. Obviously, we, we look at the Bible, we seek wise counsel from others, but in this series we're focusing specifically on building our skill of, of going into that quiet place and, and hearing God's still small voice. And so oftentimes, what we want to focus on today is God wants to help us get unstuck. And when we have places in our lives that we don't know what to do, there's no surprise that Jesus does. If Jesus is our shepherd, if Jesus says that you have no longer a need for someone to teach you, right? if Jesus is your true Yoda, not Brian or even the person discipling you, that he is the one that can lead us into freedom better than anyone else. And so today we're going to look at how listening, this act of listening prayer, God can lead us out of places of being stuck. So to do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible and want to turn there, we're going to start in verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21, it it will probably be up on the screen as well. It already is. All right, Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, he's talking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Sorry, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. All right, there's no gasps there. But for the original audience, there was a gasp. (gasps) What? How can you say such a thing, right? The general limit, according to some scholars, understood during that time, may have been like three times. That's the most someone will get. Boom, 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 you're out. Okay? Apparently they played baseball back then. Okay? Peter's thinking he's got it figured out here. He's kind of up in the ante, you know. Okay, I think, I know Jesus, you know, I kind of know how he operates. I've been walking around with him for a year or two. 
he, he, he ratchets it up to seven. That's a 233.33% increase. Okay? But Jesus ups the ante even more. Right? Seven, it's either 77 here or 70 times seven. It's a little unclear what the number is. But the, the, the point is obviously unlimited number of times to forgive. People, scholars debate, if does this point to Genesis 4 where this guy Lamech says that he's going to take revenge 77 times? Does it point to Daniel 9? There's this vision of the 77s. We don't know. But the, but the point is really unlimited forgiveness is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this is because Jesus, in part, is ushering in a new era of forgiveness. This new covenant that is not based on blessings and curses. It is based on Jesus' shed blood offering us forgiveness for all of our sins. Past, present, future. I'm waiting for the gasp on that one. Come on. That's good news. Right? And so Jesus then tells a story to illustrate how life in the kingdom works. How life following Jesus works. What it looks like for heaven to come to earth and to follow Jesus in this new way, this new covenant, this new life that's given through Jesus. He tells this story. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Modern day equivalent of $6 billion. 10,000 was the largest number that they had in the language that this is written in, that, that era. And a talent was the largest sum of money. And if you do the math, it's about a modern day equivalent of $6 billion. And since he could not pay, obviously, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Gone. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, that's about $10,000. So, significant, right? That's a, that's a major debt. 10000 bucks. if someone owes you $10,000, that's a lot of money. It's not minimizing that. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay back the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here's the lesson. If you want to be free, you have to forgive. If you want to be free, you have to forgive. The story ends with a little bit of a scary scene of the master in anger throwing this person into prison. The opposite of freedom. And then Jesus says, God will do the same thing to you, right, if you right, do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a little unclear exactly what Jesus is saying there in that last line. Is he talking about hell, possibly? 
right? Is he talking about some other punishment that God will give? Is it is there a reference to purgatory? Or is it some other kind of prison that God is afflicting on someone that will not forgive? Whatever that might mean, the point is clear that for a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. This is not an optional piece. A Christian is not allowed to hold a grudge against anyone. Right? Jesus is saying the stakes here are high. This is critical and highly important to Jesus. And so if we want to follow him, if we want to be free, if we want to be not in this prison, whatever prison that may be, we have to forgive. Why is it so important to forgive? It's clear from Scripture, right, that no one's really debating that we need to forgive as followers of Jesus, but why? Why is it not okay to hold a grudge against someone that has owes you $10,000 and cannot pay? Someone that has hurt you deeply, right? Wounded you in your past, betrayed your trust, hurt someone in your family. Why is a grudge, why is holding on to bitterness, why is that not allowed in the kingdom? Well, Jesus gives two reasons here that are, that are connected together. Following Jesus means we imitate God and when we don't forgive, we are in a prison even of our own making. Okay, there's three characters, right? It seems pretty clear who the first one represents. God. This guy owes an enormous debt. More money than we will ever see in our lives. Us and all of our friends. Unless you've got some really rich friends. Okay? And he just cancels the debt. It's just canceled. Right? This is a picture of the gospel. The good news that Jesus brings. God's extravagant, over-the-top grace towards us. His reckless love, if you will. Absolutely 100% ridiculous financially. This guy's financial advisors would be outraged. His inheritors are furious. Right? His board of advisors are ready to fire him as the CEO. This is a, this is a foolish move. But that's the way the kingdom works. And that is the love that God has for his children. That he is willing to forgive all of our sin if we would simply just ask for it and receive it and put our trust in Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, offering his forgiveness of sin. I mean, that is incredible. We moved this week. Um, if you didn't hear, we got, we, we, got, we got ourselves a house. The Lord provided, okay? We're living in Ipswich on Topsfield Road. It's great. Yesterday we were back at the cottage. Uh, Jay was cleaning, and I was, I was uh, watching the boys out in front. And uh, the neighbor, some of the neighbor kids were out there and playing with remote control cars. They had like three helicopters and like three or four remote control cars. And so my boys were just like, whoa, you know? They're four and three. They don't have one of those. And so... One of my sons got a turn on the car, and then it was time for another kid to have a turn. 
And, if, and wouldn't you know, right, it's, he was given the gift of the turn, but as soon as it was his turn to give that gift, it was, it was, it was a little bit of a fight. Can you relate a little bit? Right? We so often, when it comes to relating with other people, have forgotten our own debt that was canceled. Right? The harm that we have done to the people around us and to God and even to the planet itself. In so many levels, on so many ways, right? our lives are just saturated with ways that we've messed up. And God just sits there and writes it off. And he asks us to imitate him in the same way to show that same grace to others who sure, yes, have harmed us, right, in $10,000 worth of harm. It's not minimizing, not saying it's a dollar, it's not $3, right? God recognizes that there's much harm that we have suffered in our lives at the hands of other people. But he says, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we follow him in forgiveness because we ourselves have been forgiven. Jesus says in another place, who has been forgiven much, loves much. When we understand how much we have been forgiven by God, the extravagant grace and love that he's poured out on us, it's a step to being able to forgive other people. And the flip side of that coin is if we don't forgive, then we are the ones that really are suffering. Jesus says elsewhere, if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. He doesn't, he doesn't paint like a, a soft brush stroke here. This, this, is, this is serious. And we become in a prison of our own making. I've heard it said before, I don't know if this is a famous saying or not, but unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When we are holding on to hatred in our heart, we are the ones that are being poisoned to death. It twists our perception of reality and limits the ways we're able to love other people. Now, on this little page, if you want to flip over our little announcement sheet, I printed an extra bonus for you today. This is what Rick was talking about. This is a picture that represents what he was speaking about in that video. Oftentimes, this is how cycles of sin are started in our lives. Okay, Number one, we get hurt by someone. Someone says something mean. You know, They do something wicked to us. They hurt one of our family members, and we are hurt. Okay, And in that, lies that the enemy wants to speak get spoken in that moment. Usually in two directions. God is not good and you're worthless. He speaks against the identity of God, who God is, his character, and who you are. And then we start to speak those things over ourselves, right? Accuse ourselves and accuse God. But the breakthrough you see in step number five, if you have a reading glasses, sorry it's so small, is forgiveness. Forgiveness from that wound, and it's not only what they did, but it's also how it left you to feel. Because oftentimes that's where the wound really takes place, is emotionally how we felt when that happened. Right? Someone can say something to you and then someone else can say the exact same thing to you and this one was no big deal, you were able to brush it off, but at some reason that one penetrated and it, it became a problem when it hit your emotional, right, your emotional self, when it got you in that place. So we're always forgiving people. I forgive this person for doing this and leaving me to feel alone, ashamed, afraid, forgotten, overlooked, undervalued, 
neglected, right? Those are the, the emotional place of our existence. And so that's where the breakthrough comes is forgiveness. We repent from holding on to that. Step six, we renounce any lies that, that, that surfaced because of this and we receive the truth. Then we can know that we are loved and know that God is good. Okay? So, oops, I was getting ahead of myself really there. The next question was supposed to be, how do we forgive? Right? How do we break out of these cycles of behavior? Again, if you want to be free, you have to forgive. And so this is, here's two ways that God really helps us in this. Here's the process, and I'm going to go over it again one more time briefly. But I want to say this. Forgiveness is not easy. It's not easy to overlook a debt of $10,000. Right? Jesus is not saying that following him is easy. Okay? We've all been hurt in real ways. And again, the best thing to do to start from a place is to contemplate and to think on how much God loves you. It just is so striking in that parable of how quickly the man just cancels the debt and they move on. Oftentimes, when we relate to God, we think, okay, well, what else do I need to do? I still need to grovel a little bit, right? I still need to feel bad about all the ways. And we sin again and we go, oh, man, you know, ugh. And God is sitting up there and said, I've already forgiven. You want to go get some ice cream? God doesn't look at your sin. He has separated it. If you have put your faith in Jesus, it's separated as far as the east is from the west. Your old man is now dead. It's been crucified and buried with Jesus in the tomb. And now you've been raised to be a new person. Right? That is the gospel. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. A son or a daughter, not a slave and a debtor any longer. Those things are gone. We do not relate to God in that way. He is now our Father. We have been put, because of Jesus, in a position of walking right into the throne room and sitting in our Father's lap. We do not grovel. We do not beg. We are kids. Sure, sometimes kids beg, but, you know, trying to teach them not to do that. Okay? We relate to God in a totally different way. He is our loving, kind, compassionate Father, and because of Jesus, we approach Him in that way. Anything else is not the gospel. Now, a couple other words to say about forgiveness. Oftentimes, the cycles of, of sin in your life, ways that you react on the road rage or whatever it is for you, it often is rooted in family of origin. So do not be surprised as if you're dealing with things that stuff from mom and dad come up. It is not shaming mom or dad. They were doing the best that they could. They were young once as well. There was no manual on parenting that they were handed when you were born. You're not, you're not, you're not defaming their reputation in any way by processing things that they did that were hurtful to you. Siblings, close friends, a teacher, a coach, people in your life in your formative years where you were hurt, that's oftentimes, do not be surprised if that comes up. And realize that it can take time. It's often a process. And you may have to forgive the same person numerous times. Oftentimes I'm processing things and I feel like God brings up a memory and I go, I've forgiven that person. And it's kind of this little nudge of, yeah, but there's a little bit of a deeper level that you need to move through in this. There's still a little bit of bitterness there. Okay? With that said, there's also something powerful in stating it out loud. In my experience, when someone is not ready to forgive, they're actually not able to mouth those words audibly that I forgive so-and-so. 
until they're at a place where they can actually are ready to do it. There's power in the spoken word. So that is often a sign. If you cannot speak the words, you need to go back and process a little more with the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I, I can't even get myself to speak the word of forgiveness over this person because the wound is so deep. But again, the goal is from the heart. We are looking to get to a place where we are not seeking ill will for someone. Forgiveness means we don't hate them and hope they die or we throw their car over the median, right? It means we release bitterness towards them and it means that we accept the fact of what happened, but we can move forward. We say, this happened and I can move forward and I accept that it happened. I'm not accepting that it was right. I'm not accepting that it was okay for them to do that, but I am accepting this did happen and I can move on. Doesn't mean that you have to forget, although you are choosing not to bring it up over and over again or hold it against them. But the goal is that if you are haunted by a memory, specifically, that that memory will no longer have power over you. That is God's will. And I just want to emphasize that. If there's someone that is here today and you have a haunting memory of abuse in your past, Jesus can break the power of that. You do not have to live under that memory. God wants to bring you to freedom. And secondly, again, here's the how. The key is asking God to highlight who you need to forgive. Because we may not even know. You just, I keep doing this thing and I have no idea why. Now, you can start by making a list and saying, okay, here's all the people that have hurt me in my life as I think back. But there may be even memories that you can't even recall. But you're asking the Holy Spirit to bring those things up so that you can forgive and God can bring healing on the tail end of that. Right? God is more motivated for your freedom than you are. So again, the questions that I want to leave you with today are ask God, is there anyone that I need to forgive today? And what do I need to forgive them for? What did they do and what did they leave me to feel? All right, ask God, what did I believe? Is there a lie that I believed as a result of that? And then God, what's the real truth? Receive that. Say, I receive the truth that you are good, God, that you love me. So I mentioned this phone, this phone call that I was in and this, this person that was needing some help. We dialogued about the problem. I said, hey, here's, here's, here's my two cents. I, I think that there's probably something in your past, some wound. Someone hurt you, maybe someone in your family. We processed a little bit about, you know, someone in kind of their, their uh, teenage slash adult years that it hurt them a little bit and felt like they had kind of left them hanging. And, and so I kind of got to the end and I was like, okay. And I just thought the Lord was like, Brian, why don't you bring me into this? And I said, yeah, well, would you, would you want to just kind of pray and work through some of this right now? And they said, great. And so I, I asked the question, I said, hey, ask God this question. God, who do you want me to forgive? So he said it out loud. Boom. Instantly, the Lord brought all this stuff to memory about, about dad, about this person's father. We hadn't talked about any of that, but in a moment when we asked the Lord he spoke. He revealed where the root issue was. And so we processed all of that, asked God if there was anyone else to forgive. There was another person that came up kind of in, in early, you know, earlier years of, of growing up. We processed some of the forgiveness there. God, what are the lies that I believe because of that? We got rid of those lies. God, what is the truth about me? Who are you saying I really am? Received that truth. And then I got a message from this person about a week later just saying, hey, I, I think I'm noticing a real shift here in my heart. Because forgiveness works, right? If we want to be free, we have to forgive. 
when we are holding on to things maybe we're not even conscious of, the Lord wants to reveal those things so that we can be free. Because when we are free, when we are intimate with God, it is the most dangerous thing to darkness in this world. Because we are free to love extravagantly as God loves. Which is the one thing that Jesus commands us in the New Testament. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. And when we are holding on to unforgiveness, we cannot receive God's love until we cannot pour it out unto other people. All right, Chrissy's going to come up and share a testimony, and then we're going to close with one activity. So Chrissy, come on up. She's in nursery. Okay. I apologize. Um, let's have the band come back up. Let's do this. We're going to give you guys a few minutes to process this. If you have a journal and you want to write this, you're welcome to do that. Grab a pen. If you want to just do it kind of audibly, you can do that right now as well. We'll give you three minutes. I'm going to have you ask these questions. Chris, you're going to share you just right at the end, okay, after we close this time. So this is your three minutes to process the Lord. Two questions. God, is there someone that, I, that you're asking me to forgive right now? Okay? And God, what do I need to forgive them for? Ask the Holy Spirit just to highlight that in your mind, just to bring up a memory or a thought. And the band's just going to play instrumentally for a few minutes. I'll have Christy come up, share a quick testimony, and then we're going to end with one song of worship. So Lord, Holy Spirit, just come. We ask you to speak. Reveal the places in our hearts, people that we need to forgive, things that we're holding on to. We want that out of our lives. We want to be able to receive your love and float on a cloud of intimacy and joy with you forever. Thank you, God. Come. Come.